Hello, Babylonians. If you're new here, hi, I'm Nicole. Uh, my cohort, Shauna, is not present, but we love her regardless. We will be back here soon. Uh, we've got a lot planned for March. It's going to be great coming back. Um, I hope you guys are okay with us sharing some of our favorite episodes with you guys that um, we just wanted to bring back and show you. So today is another one of that Shauna really liked. It's actually the first episode that Shauna recorded with me. It's episode 10, um, talking about the case of Judith Barcy. That one was requested to us by our wonderful friend, Mandy. So um, make sure you go check out her art. I'm pretty sure we talk about it in the segments that I'm going to recast for you guys. Um, I hope you guys are, I'm so sorry I say I'm a lot. I realized that when I was listening back to last week's. I'm trying to be more mindful of it because I'm sure it's just as annoying for you guys. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys had a fabulous Valentine's Day. We, um, there it is again. I had a good day, had to work, but got some really cute little things from my mom and my boys got some cute little gifts and stuff. So here is this episode of Bloody Babbles Podcast. We'll see you next week. Enjoy. Record. Okay, welcome back to Bloody Babbles. And I said episode 10 was going to be real special. I thought I was going to be doing it with Kelly, but we're not. My sister is here. Hi. This is my sister, Shauna. <laughs> Hello. She is a, um, she's a big true crime fan as well, yep, yep, as yep. well as, <laughs> oh my God, that's so creepy that you said that. Yep. 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 Oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> ha Ducky, ducky, ducky. Yeah. So yeah, we are. Have you, have you looked into her story? I haven't looked into it, but I've heard some things and freaking tragic. And, um, uh, once again, I didn't, I've been wanting to do this case. I always talk as if, you know, I'm already talking to my listeners Yeah, and they're not here yet. That's okay. And sometimes I'll look at my computer like, there they are. Yeah. Hey, I like it. Hey, listeners, can you hear this? Oh my gosh. So we have these, we have the sound guard things and I can never remember the proper term for them. And I get made fun of all the time that I don't remember what they're called. So I hope you enjoy that little. But she said it, it makes it really like your peas aren't very harsh. And I'm like. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, um, man, the Mandy is, um, she's the wilding wonder arts, fantastic human. I've shared her on all of our social media and I follow her on Instagram. And then she's, I, <laughs> she, uh, told me that she's like this weird podcast started, not weird. She didn't say weird. She's like this random podcast started following my Instagram. And she's like, girl, you're in my ear holes. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Uh, <laughs> So I was pretty stoked. And so she requested, as you, if you haven't caught on yet, that we're going to be covering um, the case of Judith Barcy. I hope that's how you say her name. As we all know, I don't pronounce things well. And then I look at the microphone as if it's a person. But uh, Judith Barcy, who was the voice of Ducky in The Land Before Time, and Anne Marie and All Dogs Go to Heaven. And uh, she was, she had a bright future ahead of her, but. Obviously, her, if it was a happy story, we wouldn't be talking about it here. 
Actually, we have two stories tonight, but I'm going to save the second one for later because it's a surprise for my sister. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, um, I usually like to handwrite my notes, but I was really stressed out and we were recording tonight and I'm like, well, I, I do have a few pages or yeah, I have a lot of pages and I'm going to have all the sources cited when I upload this uh, episode. So we're going to start with this short, but intense life of Judith Eva Barcy. She was an American child actress and her career started in the 1980s. That's when you, oh wait. You were born in 1980? I was born in 1980, yes. Yeah. I'm just hanging out with all these cool older ladies because I'm super, like, lame. But anyways, because <laughs> well, Kelly's always like, I'm 40. And I'm like... <laughs> I will be. Uh, oh, I'm still plan. I still have a plan for your 40th birthday. But anyways, so she uh, was born in Los Angeles, California hey. on June 6, 1978 to, I'm going to guess, Joseph Barcy. And her mom's name is Maria Viravax. She's such a cute. You looking? So cute. See, Sorry, I'm looking at. I'm yeah, looking at her see, you've already embodied what <laughs> Kelly does. Looks up their pictures. I'm embodying you, Kelly. <laughs> so before I guess I get too far into this, because you know we babble. This is what you're here for. Yep. Kelly is not stepping away. She is we're just adding Shauna in. So sometimes it'll be Kelly. Sometimes it'll be Shauna. Sometimes it may be all three of us. We'll never. How fun would that be? Oh, it's going to happen. We've already discussed it. But um, Kelly's got a crazy, amazing life. And she's a teacher. And, you know, the world is, like, trying to end and stuff. So she's got to do a lot of teachery things. So we discussed it. And we're like, let's bring Shauna in to co-host sometimes, too. Or we'll just, all three of us will be doing it all the time now. So what a better way to start episode 10. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but um, this thing that I'm looking up says she was born June 6, 1978. Yes. I thought you said 80. So you just she, was she was a, a child, she was a child actress My in the bad. 80s. Okay, pay attention, Shauna. Okay. Sorry. Judith was born in L.A., uh, June 6, 1978, to Joseph Barcy and Maria Viravax. Um, they had both escaped their home country of Hungary after the 1956 revolution. Though they did not encounter each other until seven, several years later. So it's kind of crazy that they ended up together. But they both had neglectful and abusive childhoods. I don't So maybe we'll get a person from Hungary to listen. Because now we have Canada and France. And just all... I just love it. Yeah, that's exactly what I put on my post today. I was like, bonjour to our French listeners. And then I thought about um, in the episode that they're going to hear, I tried to pronounce a French word, and I'm painfully not French. Yeah. So please don't stop listening. But anyways, back to this story. I can hear my dog scratching on the door. So if you hear that in the background, it's because my dogs are outside. Okay. And we're recording in my house. So we're in a total new, totally brand new scenery. So we're just, it's just happening. Okay. Um, his... Joseph's first marriage was to a lady named Clara. They met on a train while immigrating to France, of course. They were uh, quickly married, and they had two children. Barna, who was born in 1957, and I think it's Agi, Agi, I don't know how to say it. It's got like an A with a ch over it, and G A-G-I is how you spell her name. And she was born in 1958, so they were boom-boom babies. And then so... Uh, Judith didn't come till 20 years later, but they moved to, <laughs> there it is. The family moved to New York in the early sixties and Joseph began to drink and abuse his family physically, emotionally, and verbally. 
1968, Clara fled with her children to Arizona, but he followed them to try and reconcile with her as one does. But he's, uh, he's pretty shitty in this whole story. But, um, however, their relationship began to improve and Clara was delighted to see he had stopped drinking. He worked as a plumber, which earned him the nickname Arizona Joe. But that happiness was short-lived, as it always is. Because no more than a year later, he threw a cast iron skillet at, Carol, at Clara. So she, yeah, so she filed for divorce and she left him for good. Um, when I want to say I looked up the spelling and it I just it I, missed. It yeah. didn't actually hit her because that's like death right there. Yeah, like yeah. I don't I don't know where it hit. Shin, but like, that's Any getting okay? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, cast iron skills. That's no joke. Uh, but when I, I'm going to say Aji. Yeah, I, I like it. I like sounds how that good. sounds. Mm -hmm. um, she was When she was 15, she vowed to never speak to her father again and encouraged her brother to do the same. So Barna and Aji are his first two children. So there isn't a lot to say about um, Maria, who's Judith's mom, her journey from Hungary to the U.S., but she had also been previously married, but they met in 1976 living in California and he, Joseph was working weird random jobs and she was a waitress at a local cafe that was popular for immigrants. Um, apparently Joseph would be like, he'd flash his hundred dollar bills and pay for all his buddies drinks. And this got her attention. I mean, what wouldn't, especially in like the sixties, like right. a few hundred dollars was like bank. Yeah. Bank. Yeah. So, then they started to see each other regularly, and they were married in August of 77. And well, they got pregnant pretty fast because Judith was How born. How long were they dating before they married? Mm -hmm. They met in 1976. They were married in August of 77. Okay. So not very long. And she became pregnant soon after, and she was it was her first child and his third. And uh, they were her mom was 38, and her dad was 45 when she was born. On to the next. Okay, so this is one of the pictures off the website, and I'm like, why did they do that to that poor child? Oh my gosh! Well, she doesn't like that either. No, she's that, not happy. With I'm gonna that have to. Po yet. That's gonna. I'm gonna post that picture on our Instagram page because <laughs> that is just cruel. Granted, I know the '70s were a way different time, but that's just rude. It's just a crazy book. Like, no, and she just, she looks like a little boy. <laughs> oh my god! But her mom quit her jobs um, and became a stay-at-home mom, and Joseph struggled to keep employment. They lived on a, in a small apartment, and they were on welfare. Um, Maria told her brother, whose name was Joseph, and I'm like, that's weird. I could not, like, be with someone who had the same... I couldn't marry someone who was, like, had the same name as my brother. Like, I could never marry someone named Fitz. I could never be with someone named Phil, or even Don. Well, oh. here's... Okay, sorry, side note. Oh, segue. Um, well, it's not a segue. Just a side note, sorry. Babs. Um, yeah. So, my brother used to date somebody named Shana Renee. Shana Renee. I don't like it. It's just like he's like Sheen, Sean, <laughs> yeah, Shoon, no, 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 and then I'm Shauna Renee. So and my dog's <laughs> name is Shiva, and I've now she's now Shiva Renee when she's in trouble. So there we go. Oh, I love it. Shiva, yeah, I call him, I'm like Shiva Renee. It just sounds right, especially when she's in trouble. Sorry for snot noses. I live in Kansas and I have allergies. Okay, but she told her brother Joseph that she saw a future for Judith as an actress in Hollywood. But everyone told her that's not going to happen. The odds are 10,000 to 1. But Maria was sure of it. And it's kind of crazy how she ends up getting her first gig. She was five. 
1983, and a film crew was at the skating rink. They were at shooting a commercial, and the casting agent noticed Judith skating and thought she was a three-year-old. She was tiny. She's a tiny little thing. So she was five at the size of a three-year-old, and they approached Maria with an acting opportunity. Like, talk about fate. Wow. Yes. Um, uh-oh. Okay, I thought I was going to burp. Um, but the same year, Judith did her first commercial for Donald Duck Orange Juice, and she was signed to the Harry Gold and Associates Talents Agency after just one meeting. Wow. So this next part of this, um, this is actually off a Reddit page. <laughs> I just downloaded Reddit, um, and it's from, I think it's called That Forensic Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That Forensics Girl posted, and I'll, I've, I've got another story to add with this one once we go through all of um, Judith's life. But um, it says a promising career, but the abuse begins. So her Judith's rise to fame grew through her appearances in commercials. She worked with Campbell's Tomato Soup, Jif, Peanut Butter, and McDonald's. And then in 1984, her breakthrough role, she played Kimberly McDonald in the miniseries called Fatal Vision, which was based on a true story plot, which revolved around a man killing his pregnant wife and two children. And this role would foreshadow Judith's own fate, which is creepy and sad. Wow. Yeah. Like, reading all of this, like, this girl was very detailed in the story, so I give her all the credit. Sorry. That... Thank you, lady, who wrote the story. Yeah, that forensic girl. Yeah. Woo-woo! Okay. After Fatal Vision, she had a lot of opportunities, and she was, so 1983, she would have been, yeah, she was five. She appeared in a small roles like on shows called Remington Steel, Knott's Landing, and The Fall Guy. I have no idea what any of these shows are because clearly I don't I watch The Fall Guy, but I don't know. And then she um, even co-starred with Oscar nominee Melinda Dillon on an episode of The Twilight Zone. Ooh. But as she became more successful, Joseph, um, her dad, felt pressure to pull his own weight around. He felt like when I was reading this, he almost became like jealous because his daughter was getting all this money and helping her family. And he was like, um, I'm the man of the family. I should be doing this. Not my five-year-old daughter, but, um, he was jealous, just jealous. jealous That sure seems to be a big thing with Hollywood kids and parents. Yep. He couldn't find a secure job. And of course turned to alcohol again. Mm -hmm. In one year he was arrested three different occasions for DUIs. He would constantly argue with his wife and turning violent within the blink of an eye. When he was, wasn't verbally, verbally abusing his wife, he would strike her across the face or attempt to choke her. So he's a real swell guy, and I'm glad he's not alive anymore. Spoiler, spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> but it's fair to say that Judith probably witnessed a lot of the abuse between her parents, but she always maintained her composure on set and ha- gave no indication that something was going on at home. Probably her escape, man. Yeah. And, like, I mean, this isn't a super clear picture, but she's just so, she's so cute. cute. You guys look her up for real. Like, and I'll post pictures of her on Instagram, because that's where I post most everything um, when it comes to what our shows entail. There it is, excuse me. Um, by 1986, she was making um, $100,000 a year from commercials and television reruns. And thanks to this, the family is able to purchase a three-bedroom house in Canoga Park. <gasps> that's where I was born! Oh, oh my gosh! Oh sorry. my gosh, that's so cool! <laughs> I knew we were going to find a connection at some point. Fun fact, that's where my sister was born. Okay, well, I can't see keep saying sister. She's married to my brother, so she's my sister-in-law, but I say sister because yes. that's what she is. I'm your sister. It's fine. But I don't want to be like... 
my sister and brother and say something, people are going to be like, um, wait. Let them think weird things. It's I mean, they probably think that because we're from Kansas. But clearly <laughs> we're not because she was born in Canoga Park. Um, uh, neighborhood <laughs> located in the San Fernando Valley. The first thing Arizona Joe did was have a spiked fence placed around the property, which, I mean, I get that. She's a famous little actress and she's adorable, but you're a piece of trash. But anyways, I'm fine. Um, she's just not. I'm not fine. Despite a turnaround in their lifestyle, Joe, Joseph, I ended up calling him Joe at one point because Joseph's just lost. I kind of like the way he spells his name down. Joseph. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's J O Z F E F. Well, Hungarian. With a fun little thing over the O. The the um, he, so, he wasn't pleased with their lifestyle. An unnamed neighbor um, speculated that good old Arizona Joe was jealous of his own kid, which is what I'd said. It was a plausible theory. She was making more money than both of her parents, and she hadn't escaped another country due to an uprising. And it was speculated that Joseph thought she was ungrateful and deemed that she had it easy compared to him. I'm like, she's five. A, she's five. And as a parent, shouldn't you be like excited? This is what you wanted. Isn't this what you wanted for your children? Was yeah. It a better life than you had? Yeah. Ew. I hate him. Ugh. You're going to hate him more. I'm going to, yes. <laughs> Uh, another neighbor recalled an incident where Judith was playing in the yard and Maria came home with a toy kite. And before she could even play with it, Joseph snatched it out of her hands and said, she, and she yelled, you're going to break it. And he looked at her and said, you see that she's a spoiled brat who doesn't want to share. She's five. Oh my God, you're how old, sir? Uh, yeah. 500. Yeah. But anyways, um, he then smashed the kite into tiny pieces. Like I wish I could have just kidnapped yeah. her and just loved her and her. Anyways, um, she that same year, nineteen, I think I said eighty six. I don't know. Eighties. Well, yeah, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, she was re reproached. No, no, no. no. <laughs> was approached by Don Bluth, 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 B L U T H, for a role in what would be later known as the Land Before Time. So if you guys didn't notice, she auditioned and she got asked to play the duck. Play the ducky. Well, Play the role of ducky. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, she chimed, which they, like, she said that whenever she got the role, and so they put it, um, incorporated that into her character, which <laughs> is what literally... <laughs> that's so sweet. It is so sweet. Yep, yep, yep. And that's on... Well, it's on her gravestone. Um, anyways... Yeah, well, she was super emotional, so she hears sobs and snots. It's yeah, fine. that's me. I'm, I'm crazy emotional. All the time. <laughs> it's but it's fine. Um, okay, good. I switched websites, and I was like, is it still recording? Um, Sorry, no, that's okay. I'm glad you moved away from the microphone, because we're sitting really close <laughs> to him. But anyways, um, she also had guest starring roles on Punky Brewster and Cheers. I loved Punky Brewster. Growing up, I wanted to be her. I so, yeah. I loved, and I loved Cheers. I would watch it a lot. So now I'm like, now I want to go back and like rewatch it and be like, look at that cute, sweet little angel. Um, her career took off at a faster pace than they were prepared, prepared for it. And her mom was able to befriend other stage moms, but things were not going well at home, which I mean, with Joseph as your dad. Yeah. He uh, extended the cruelty of his abuse solely towards Judith. Um, what at a house party one evening, he followed her into the kitchen, yanked her ponytail and she ended up hitting the floor. He didn't like all the attention she was receiving from guests. And, but as an apology, he went out shopping the next day and bought her a pink television set for her room. Cause that makes up for it. 
Um, she was on a, as they said, another haunting role was her portrayal of an abused child on Cagney and Lacey. Um, she did not inform any adults of the real life abuse she was experiencing, which eventually she, I think I, she does, but yeah, I just, oh, it's so sweet. Why would you want to hurt that little girl? But anyways, um, when she wasn't at school or an acting or when her daughter wasn't at school or at an acting gig, Maria took every opportunity she could to get Judith out of the house. So they weren't stuck there with Joe motherfucking bitch. Anyways, uh, they'd go to restaurants or visit family friends. Judith was taught Hungarian and spoke it fluently. And they would communicate in that language with her mother when they went to public places. So nobody could figure out what they were saying. On June 10th, 1986, uh, Judith celebrated her eighth birthday at a bowling alley with her friends from school. Joseph was absent and Maria allegedly told another parent in passing that her husband was stuck at home getting drunk. Well, she wasn't lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, he often showed her where he kept a can of gasoline and threatened to burn the house if she or Judith tried to leave. Ugh. The abuse worsened. Um, Judith told her friend Trixie that her father had thrown pots and pans at her in a drunken rage, resulting in a bloody nose. Oh, that's a cute little name. Judith and Trixie. A few days before Christmas, Maria Barcy filed a police report stating that Joseph had attempted to strangle her after threatening her life. The officer saw no absolute signs of physical abuse, and she reluctantly decided not to press charges. Hold on. Hold on. Question. Hold the phone. Okay. So the one part where he said, you said something about, he said if they were to leave him, he'd burn down the house. Yep. So what? If they're gone. That's a foreshadowing. Okay. But like, <laughs> in my head. Yeah. Not knowing what the outcome is. If dude's like you, you or guys if they tried to leave, oh, okay. if they tried to leave the house, he would burn them to death. Oh, they'd burn. Okay, because I'm thinking the house if out. they fucking got away, who cares? Right, burn the goddamn house, burn yourself too. But like, nope. Okay, now I get it. Sorry, sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, this is fine. Go look it. Here's your text. Ate some food on my way now. Oh wow. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> An hour later. <laughs> Fine. Um, as 1987 approached, Judith landed her first theatrical role in Jaws, The Revenge. Um, the part required her and Maria to fly out to the Bahamas, but Joseph found out about this, came into Judith's room while she was packing her suitcase. Um, I, don't, I don't know if this is a trigger warning, but this is kind of sad and scary. He took a kitchen knife and held it against her neck, and he told her, if you and your mother don't come back after the shooting, which, shooting the movie, I'm going to cut your throat. He he growled at her like, Oh my God. But that was the opportunity like that. No dad, that shouldn't, I'm not, I'm not, I know they should negating how serious that is. But if you guys don't come back, I'm going to cut your throat. Okay. We'll be back. And then you don't fucking come back. And how is he going to get clicked to your throat? He's not going to, right. You're gone. You're out. You're out of there. You go, you fly back from the Bahamas. You go stay with family, friends, some of these fucking mothers that you've been hanging out with mm -hmm. Maria. Yep. And, your daughter's making some bank, so like, run, run. Yes, there were. Oh, it's unfortunate that there were opportunities. Opportunities that, to... that they were just so scared that he would right. find right. them. Right. I know. Like it wasn't that long ago, but it was such a well, different I've time. Fortunately, never been in an abusive, a physically abusive relationship. So the the fear of my for your life, I can only. But like when you have the opportunity to get away from someone, it's like the, the universe tells you're you going to the Bahamas. Out. Yeah, hello. Like, 
someone's gonna take care of you. Yeah. But anyways, um, okay, so they arrived at the island to start filming. Maria told anyone who would listen about her fears for Judith's safety. She was constantly crying out. Studio teacher Linda Stone Elster recalled, um, well, almost to the point where nobody took her seriously. It was like, oh, here goes Maria again, just worried about going home to this crazy person. No. I bet, I, I bet all those deal people damn. feel awful. I mean, I, different time, it doesn't matter. People still have feelings and people still see things. Just, you, you know, you see somebody's crying and hurting and, and you'd think somebody would be like, if this is serious, come stay with me. I'll, right. You know, let's what, stay with like, oh. like, you just feel like she's just crying wolf Stupid Hollywood yep. stereotypes of the so, eye roll. They have a picture of Judith on the beach shooting for this Jaws. And it said, um, the film was panned by critics, but Judith's role as Thea Brody is remembered fondly. She even wore her own swimsuits for the beach scenes. And the suit looks adorable. Um, when it finally wrapped up, they purchased tickets to New York to visit Maria's brother. Judith and her cousin were playing when the phone rang, and it was Joseph. After handing the phone to Judith, her father told her, remember what I said before you left. Ew. She dropped the phone and began to cry and ran into the other room. Maria took control of the situation and started to berate her husband. I had never seen such a thing like that before, um, is what her brother said. Her brother, Joseph Weldon. The trip to New York was cut short, and they returned to California with Judith in tow. Or Maria returned. Because he Judith. was like he was freaking out because he didn't have control right then. Yep. So let me make threats because he was freaking out. Oh yep. gosh, darn it! But he would have easily gotten on a plane and flown right go to New York. Go ahead, go fucking fuck, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Um, they neighbors and friends urged her to leave, and one woman even offered her home as a temporary safe haven. Hey, foreshadowing in my head already happening, but they're not taking up on that. Nope. So she told people different things. She would say that she was in the process of filing for a divorce, but to others she expressed reluctance to leave. He'll find us, she told one of the neighbors. Even if he doesn't, he'll burn down the house. Ugh, his, his picture's on this page, and I just want to grow up. Um, it just, it's not, a, I mean, it's not clear, but I'm like, I just, bleh, you're just gross. I am dumb. hope you're burning in the worst parts of hell. Um, Joseph did many things to sabotage um, her attempts to leave with Judith. Judith, I can't do this. Okay, he accidentally misplaced accidentally, quote-unquote, misplaced their passports and even went as far as hiding a telegram that informed Maria of a relative's death in Hungary. Okay. Wow. Like, that's... What if it had been, like, her mother? No, he doesn't care. I know, but, like, ugh, when you're, like, that messed up in the brain. Um, In December of 1987, he was speaking... She was speaking on the phone to her niece, Eve Wright. Wright? Wright. But it's R-E-I-T-Z, right? Sure. Maria mentioned that she suspected Joseph was having an affair, presumably showering another one with expensive gifts. I mean, if he's going to mooch off his daughter, it's probably the way to do it. Right. He's a piece of garbage. Um, Wright said that Maria didn't sound bothered. It was just another reason for her to look into a divorce lawyer, which, <clears throat> in fact, she told her niece that Joseph cheating on her was probably the best thing that ever happened to, quote unquote, me. Or, that was brackets. Okay. Get... Happened? <laughs> <laughs> she thinks the best thing that could have happened to her was him cheating. Oh. But not him putting a knife to your daughter's throat and him Yo, threatening to, to cause her to, okay. to, okay. cause her to okay. leave. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Sorry. All right. I was sorry. I might have blanked out for a I would have probably wrote this different if I wrote it myself, but I don't like to plan. 
So you had channeled Maynard Kelly Because I was well. thinking, sorry, here's the reason why I, I didn't black out, but I wasn't really listening. It was because I was thinking how maybe on your Instagram too, have some links for people who are in abusive relationship places to get Definitely. Yeah. There's lots of domestic abuse hotlines. If you're listening to this yes. and you think something is going on, message me and ask about my merch because I don't have merch. But if you are listening to this and you need help, reach out to me. I will figure it out. Yes. I know a lot of people. Yes. My sister that's sitting in front of me, her husband, my brother, is, see, there it is, <laughs> um, is a reporter. Like, we know how to get a hold of people and get you safe. Yeah, Just, and we're not undermining how serious this is. Like, when we no. say, why didn't you? It's fucking scary. I can and, imagine. And, and there, and there is help. There is help. Yeah, just you just got to be willing to take it. So, and, yep, that's our. If you need help, message me and be like, "Hey, I need to ask about merch," and like we'll <laughs> we will help yes. you yes. in any way we can. There because is help out there. Yes, even from two crazy weirdos in Kansas. No, I'm crying. <laughs> okay. Well, we love you. Get, we love you. Just get help if you need it, please. Get ready, because you're going to cry more. <laughs> so the haunting final months. Uh, Nine-year-old Judith was starting to show severe signs of stress, just like we are, because that's who we are as people. She was gaining weight. Um, she pulled out her eyelashes as well as one of her cat's whiskers. Oh, I had a friend who did that. That was her stress management. She'd rip out her eyebrows and eyelashes. Oh, my mom went to school with a girl who ate her own hair. I just... I really hope these people The way that... I shouldn't say weird, but the... Different ways people try to cope or to, 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 to grasp or to get hold of, take some sort of control. Yeah. Know, like, it's, um, there was pressure for her to grow taller so she could prepare for older roles. But she has. Okay. But <laughs> reportedly there was an issue with her pituitary gland, which uh, oh. puberty was delayed and she was stuck at the height of three foot eight. Oh my gosh. Three foot eight. Wow. I wonder how tall are the I was thinking that too. Well, could, you said something about. Well, when she was in the beginning, she was five and they thought she was the size of a three year old. And then I was like, how your son is three and a five year old. <laughs> My son's giant. I'm five eleven. I've never, I don't know if I've ever speculated that. I'm a tall ass human. I'm super not. <laughs> Kelly is. Kelly's about five eight. She's pretty darn tall too, but her dad's, he's, he's a freaking tall guy as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Get taller so you can yeah. do other roles. Or else, she has surprise her dad didn't meet her for that. Should he may have? Um, trips out of the house were no longer fun or entertaining. Instead, Maria was taking her to receive hormone injections at UCLA. And, and she's how old? Nine. That's same age. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess if a doctor's saying, but uh, she's doing. Uh, which is ironic because she ended up, in spite of all this, she got to play the role of young Carol Sievert on Growing Pains. Things she was not I love having. Show. I love oh, I loved pains. watching Growing Pains too. <laughs> yes, me, born in 1983. I watched that show. Don't at me. Okay. It was a dream come true because she was a huge fan of the show. And they, they one of the coworkers or co-stars was like, why? Why didn't I take her? I would have, like, you can't put that on yourself. Yeah. Um, while on every show we watch lately, sorry. <laughs> while on set, she spent time with the cast uh, member Tracy Gold, who viewed her as a little sister. Gold herself learned of the abuse, though, and offered them help, but Maria declined. Look how cute! Oh Look at the cute God. little face. Ugh, my heart. Okay. Um, a few months later, Maria started renting an apartment in Panorama City as a daytime haven for her and her daughter. 
that at night they'd still go home to their dad, that it was just somewhere to go hide away from that piece of garbage. I haven't said that enough this episode. Um, Garbage. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay, then she, but her career continued without issues, and she landed the role of Anne-Marie in another Don Bluff production of All Dogs Go to Heaven. One of my favorite movies. Someone I like to sing things, and that's why I do it too. But um, when it's time for her to sing the song Soon You'll Come Home, she broke down into tears, telling her agent Ruth Hansen about everything that was happening at home. That makes me cry. And so, now even more hearing this, hearing this. I'm going to hear that song and this one song. Gravy. <laughs> I don't think she ended up singing it. I think they ended up having to put someone else to sing that part of it. Oh, goodness. But um, disturbed by the incidents and fearing for her well-being, Hansen ordered Maria to go to a child psychiatrist in Encino. After one session, the doctor reported Judith to the authorities as an abused child, and the L.A. Department of Child Protective Services got involved. Uh, Maria was questioned extensively, but it was unclear if Joseph himself was ever investigated. Which is, makes, oh, dude, if you listen to as much podcasts as I do, you can hear that LAPD and people there are, apparently, cheapers, creepers. Yep. May 18th, 1988, um, Judith was able to watch herself on television one last time. She played a dying patient whose parents are going through a divorce in the final season of Saint Elsewhere. You know that show, too? I don't know. It wasn't one that I watched, but I... Um, uh, okay, wait, um, as June rolled around, Joseph had reached out to his son, Barna, who told Aji that her father was eager to see them and make amends. He invited them down to Los Angeles saying that he was remarried, 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 I'm trash, and mentioning (laughs) they had a half sister named Judith, who was like a big celebrity. Oh, she's your sister. Yes. Hey, your sister's kind of famous, like a lot. They arrived just in time to celebrate Judith's 10th birthday. Um, Barna spent every moment with his father and Maria, and and Aji got to know Judith. The little girl was delighted. She had never met her big sister before. Um, in this picture, they're playing with their one of their cats. Oh, goodness. She's like, the cat's like laying across Judith. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A few After a few days, Aji, like Barna, was ready for to forgive their father for his past actions, but something about her Judith's behavior made, the, made her hesitate. Um, Aji said, that's when I looked at her and I knew right then and there that something was going on. She said in her memoir of her sister, she's like, I saw myself. We were the same person. Quote, unquote. Um, quote, I saw myself. We were the same person. Unquote. Okay. Thank you. Thickened by the realization her younger sibling was also experiencing abuse. Aji pulled Maria aside and demanded to know what the hell was going on. Not the hell is in there, but I added it because that's what um, he had admitted that Joseph had a temper and he sometimes got physical sometimes. Okay. But he wasn't drinking anymore. Barf. Bullshit. Bullshit. I told her just take Judy and be safe. And, and but she had another plan. Aji said she let the house get so messy. I mean, it was disgusting. When I saw all the trash, I said, let's clean up. She was like, no, it's going to drive Joseph out of the house if we don't clean it up. So it was a pig's pen. It was a living pig's pen. Maria held on to the idea that she and Judith had worked too hard for their house and prized possessions. If anyone think, if anyone was going to leave, regardless of them getting divorced, it was going to be Joseph. And then it shows, yeah, it's not, you can kind of see like the trash. Jeez, oh, Yeah. Your kid lived through that. I mean, he, he had a, like OCD about cleanliness. Like he was like, he'd freak out if it got too dirty. Not bad enough. Yeah. 
um, Barna and Aji were about to return home to Arizona when Judith approached them as they headed out the door. Barna was loading the cars, um, loading their things into the car, and Judith told her sister, Aji, take me with you. I'm scared that father is going to do something bad. Ah, heartbroken and knowing the little girl's distress, Aji bent down and assured her that things were going to be okay. I told her that he had hurt Barna and me as children, but everything was all right in the end. It was only a temporary situation. I told her she had to be strong, and I'll never forget the look in her eyes as we left. And that, I'm pretty sure that was the last day they saw her. Ugh. There's a sobbing press. <laughs> And I'm not going to look at her because then I'll start crying too. Um, at some point in early July, Joseph followed Maria to their apartment in Panorama City. She was carrying boxes, and when confronted, she told her she was helping a friend move in. Um, shortly after, Maria told a friend she was planning on cashing Judith's $12,000 tax refund check before her husband could get his hands on it. Um, she was most likely finally going to get ready to leave him and take Judith away once and for all. Most and likely, huh? It's taken how fucking long? Right. She's Ten years. She had to make sure he would get little or none of their child's earnings until the divorce papers arrived. She also notified CPS that she was divorcing him and that they'd be moving into the apartment with Judith. Believe it or not, the social worker took her word for it and didn't even bother to visit the day that visit the home. They closed Judith's case file the same day. On the morning of Monday, July twenty fifth. Today is July twenty fifth. We're recording this, so. 1988, that'd be 32 years ago, Judith was seen riding her bike around the neighborhood. Um, she had an appointment with Hanna-Barbera Studios about another voiceover role in an up upcoming animated series, but she did not show up, and Maria never called in to say why. It's speculated that Joseph and Maria started fighting, and Judith was too upset to go, or maybe she was too hurt to go, I don't know. Another less popular theory is that Joseph was holding them hostage and preventing them from leaving, and no one ever saw the Barcy family alive and outside of their house after that day. Um, this is where the case got tricky because we they don't know there's never details about like what happened that night when this all goes down. Um, they do know that Judith put on her nightgown and went to bed, and Maria did the same. And they think um, Joseph kept himself awake for hours, contemplating on what to do next. Investigators believed he was about, he knew about um, Maria's plan to divorce him, and he'd never see her or Judith again. And maybe she had threatened him with a restraining order. Um, regardless of whether or not Maria fought back, Joseph was powerless or angry, felt powerless or angry about something she had done or said, and something had to, something had to have been the last straw. Um, Aji, his older daughter, um, had her own theory. She believed that her father had just finally snapped, citing his tormented fatherless Hungarian child as a reason for his mental demons. Shortly around or after midnight, because I don't exactly know, um, I guess this is a trigger warning. Um, I guess I said that. Okay. Um, he retrieved his 32 caliber pistol and walked into his daughter's bedroom and said she was laying facing the wall. Um, disturbingly enough, or, um, yeah, walked into her bedroom. Um, she died instantly from a single shot to the head right above her right ear. Disturbingly enough, they think that she was more like, more than likely like, awake when he came into her room. Yeah. Hearing the shot, Maria ran out of her bedroom down the hall to confront her husband. And they think she may have um, tried to fight for the gun. Just different sources cite that she had defensive wounds, but this is unconfirmed. 
Maria was overpowered, forced onto her knees, and she was shot in the head as well. Um, investigators agree that Judith was killed first because they think if jo Joseph had gone after Maria before her, the child would have tried to flee and thus her body would have been elsewhere in the house other than in her bed. Okay, I had to look at your face. I was scared. Um, <laughs> um, Ruth was informed that Judith missed her appointment and called the Barcy residence around noon on July 26th. Which was today. <laughs> That's weird. Um, she was so this was around noon on July 26th. Um, he answered the phone. She questioned him, to which he replied, They went to San Diego. A black car took them away. I'm just here to get my things and say goodbye to my little girl. Okay. Confused, Hansen allegedly tried to call the resident again, residence again, but her call was ignored. At 8.30 on July 27th, neighbor Eunice Daly went outside to water her garden. An explosion alerted her to the Barshi's home where she saw smoke billowing, billowing out of the roof. Firefighters, paramedics, and police swarmed the area, and flames were put out. Three bodies remained inside the residence. Maria, aged 48, was found at the end of the hallway. Judith, aged 10, in her canopy bed. It was noted that a cap to a can of gasoline was found just a few feet from her body, Judith. Both mother and daughter had been burned beyond recognition. Going into the garage, firefighters discovered the body of Joseph Barcy, aged 55, with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The only, uh, not that he didn't torment them enough through their lives, but not that this is a great, but their deaths were quick, were quick and, and somewhat painless. I mean, right. Maria fought for her life, but like at least, I mean, and then if Judith was awake, that kind of, uh, no, but that's heartbreaking, it's but just, at least, yeah, he wasn't like, I'm going to torture you to, I mean, I've tortured you enough throughout your life. So this is going to be a pretty quick death because he definitely could have. <sighs> Um, medical examiner concluded that all three Barcy families were deceased before the fire could really spread. None of their lungs showed signs of smoke inhalation. There's confusion on which day Judith and Maria had been murdered, either July 25th or 26th. It was confirmed that they'd been dead for more than 24 hours, but less than 48. Her death, Judith's death certificate, it lists her date as July 27th, even though that was the day her body was discovered. So... But, um, yeah, it says in the memory of, or in memory of the lovely Judith Eva Barcy, 1978 to 1988, our concrete angel. Yep, yep, yep. Ah, good. Yes. Um, Judith and Maria were buried to each other and laid to rest in unmarked graves on August 8th in Forest Lawn Memorial Park. In 2004, fans organized a donation campaign, and the two were finally given their headstones. So they were buried by each other? They're, yeah, okay. they were buried by each other, but they didn't have grave markers um growing pain star tracy gold read the eulogy at the little girl's funeral judas co-stars jaws co-star non-screen on father lance guest was one of her pallbearers um three of judas projects were released posthumous posthumously what I don't know what that word post post <laughs> I don't know that word. Oh my God. I'm stressed out. Um, the land before time premiered in November of 1988, becoming a very well-loved memory to kids all around the world. Perhaps Judith's most famous role in her short prolific career. Oddly enough, most people learn about her tragic fate when they have an innocent curiosity of such as what happened. What's Ducky's voice actress doing nowadays? Oh, wow. Yep. 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 Um, she had a supporting role in ABC after school special 
called The Family Again, starring alongside Ricky Lake, Ray Perlman, and Tanya Crow. Ironically, along with the title, the episode dealt with grief and healing, and the end credits read, this film is dedicated to the loving memory of Judith Barcy. And then they said, for her role in All Dogs Go to Heaven, which wasn't released until 1989, she completed all of her lines, but she... Another actress had to be brought in for Anne-Marie singing due to Judith's heartbreaking reluctance to sing such a heavy song. The film's ending song, Love Survives, was de- dedicated to her. Judith's final lines in the film also feel like a punch to the stomach when you learn her story. I wonder... No, I don't... They don't have them listed. <gasps> she is remembered greatly by Don Bluth. Bluth? Bluth? I don't know. Sorry, Don Bluth. Just don't come at me who had planned to feature her in more of his projects as a way of coping with her death. The animators based Anne Marie's mannerisms on that of Judith's. Oh my gosh. The LAP or LA department of child protective services were heavily criticized. Honestly, should have been when news of their failure to ensue Judith's safety. Oh my God, Nicole Elizabeth ensure Judith's safety leaked to the press in September of 1988. That's when Phil was born. Um, my brother, my other brother, not her husband. Anyways, the department acknowledged its mistake. Oh, cool. Stating that caseworkers should be given assistance. Judah's social worker in the partic- in particular had 67 cases at the time, which was 27 more than a full caseload. As far as we know, they never issued an apology to her surviving relatives. Judith's half-brother Barna died in 1995 after falling off a bridge in Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't know why I said Arizona like that. I'm so sorry. He had previously been dealing with alcoholism and was homeless at the time. It is unknown if the death was accidental or a suicide, and he was only 37. Judith's half-sister, Aji, was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1997. She wrote two books, got married, and became a stepmother. Despite only knowing Judith for a short time, she loved her dearly and wishes she had done more, and she passed away in 2008 at age 50. Gosh, if my internet would work, I can tell you the last freaking lines. Ah, I'm going to cry. No. Do I need to read it? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so so Anne-Marie's looking at Charlie, because I could see it in my head. Yeah. Anne-Marie. Okay, you're going to have to read it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It's the top top one? Yeah. Okay, so she's talking to Charlie. Anne-Marie, will I ever see you again? Charlie, sure. Sure you will. You know goodbyes aren't forever. Oh, crap. (laughs) Anne-Marie, well then goodbye, Charlie. I love you. Charlie, yeah. Uh, I love you, too. No! (laughs) Okay. So, as you can see, when Shauna's um, co-hosting with me, if it's not Kelly, she's going to be Sorry. a sobbing mess. Um, so, I, obviously, I mean, that, that was a really detailed, awesome, like, very well put together about her short, short life, like, short and tragic. Um, so, there was, there's this new show. Um, called Murder House Flip, and it remodels homes where people were murdered. <laughs> no, <Nuh-uh. laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go now. This is my house, and I'm leaving. I'm out. Oh my gosh. Um, what happened? There it is. Hello. Um, Murder House Flip. Well, I was trying to read the title, and it did not work that way. It's fine. 
Um, so they ended up remodeling the home where uh, Judith was shot by her dad and um, where he shot his wife, too. It was a family home. Or family home. It was a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home in Canoga Park, California. Um, this family moved there in 2001. Um, oh, that's just a magazine article. And more things. Season one of Murder House Flip is now streaming on Quibi. I know that's a big, like, streaming thing now. I've wanted to just download it because <laughs> I see this one show with Anna Kendrick and again, it looks hilarious. But anyways, and now there's Murder House Flip, so I'm like, um, I may have to download Quibi. Hey, Quibi, sponsor us. But anyways, uh, this family that moved in there, those, the Bernal family, is told throughout episodes 10 through 12. Each episode is around, around under 10 minutes, and Quick Bites, Big Stories is what can be searched. Um, they said that in the one room... Their daughter, Gabby, she was 10 years old, had trouble sleeping because she felt like she was being watched, which would haunt into her into adulthood. As it turns out, her bedroom was also the bedroom of Judith Barcy's. Knowing that, Gabby says she had never been able to see facing towards the window as that's how Judith was killed. She was laying towards the window and he walked in her room. And then, yeah, you know the rest. Um, she started hanging dream catchers on her wall to help ward off the nightmares that she developed um, when the family first moved in. 19 years before, Gabby had made an imaginary friend named Joseph, which they later realized was the name of the killer. Like, what are the freaking odds? Now I want to watch this. Yeah. Um, well, and the little bit of research I've done on, like, spirits and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, my husband and I were talking about it last night, actually, because we've been watching a lot of... Well, we were watching, I don't know if you've seen the show Believers, but it's freaking phenomenal on Travel Channel. It's about ghosts and blah, blah, blah. blah. Anyway... It. So, um, spirits aren't like, if, if there's a child spirit, it's a demon. There's no, ch children always go to the other side. Oh. So, so um, That's, it's, it's always. That makes sense. A demon. Annabelle. <gasps> right. Like, and then, so this one that was going on, it was like, and this one story was supposedly a child and, but it was doing awful, awful things. So. Oh, well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um. There was something else. They completely like renovated the house. They ripped out one of the walls. They ripped out. They completely remodeled um, her. They redid Gabby's bedroom, which was Judith's. Um, transformed it into a chic, classy retreat and adult bedroom. She later exclaimed at the reveal. Um, they redid the the backyard. Uh, there was something else that I read in here. I just thought it was kind of interesting. I'd never even heard of it. I'm like. Um, there it is. Last of the hallway, got a new coat of paint. Slight fixtures were swapped out for recessed lighting, and some statement pieces were added to complete the look. I'm gonna have to look it up. I'll try and find. I'll try to see if I can add pictures of that onto the. Maybe not just demon evil. Sorry, I'm like thinking about what I just said. It doesn't have to be demon. Evil. It's just evil. evil. Gross. 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 Evil spirits. So we actually. <laughs> Almost hit already an hour on this episode. I thought oh, it was sure. an hour. But there was a lot of information. Um, I hope I did it just. <laughs> I try. I try really hard. Um, but if you haven't seen Land Before Time or Oh my gosh, yeah. Of, but, and try not to think that you're listening to a dead child's voice because that's what I'm going to think about every time I watch yeah. it. Well, it's so crazy. My second youngest son was watching All Dogs Go to Heaven the other night. 
and um, I was going pee, and I could hear <laughs> Anne Marie's song. Oh, and I start crying, and I haven't like I haven't watched this movie in a while, but right. like, and he looks at me and he's like, "What's wrong with me?" I'm like, "It's just such a great movie, a great song." <laughs> Okay, so we've got time. We can go. Usually our episodes run about an hour. So um, we're, I'm telling a second story because usually, you know, Kelly goes down the rabbit hole and me and Shauna just decided earlier today, we're like, hey, we're going to record. And she's like, let's do it tonight. And I'm like, great, let's do this. Oh, God, I have nothing. Um, <laughs> so welcome to episode 10, uh, part two. <laughs> no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep on trucking. Um, so. Um, you actually sent me a picture of oh. a gravestone. There's not, there's a lot of articles, but they all kind of say the same thing. And it's about this lady. Um, her name is Lily E. Gray. Her gravestone is in a Salt Lake City cemetery. And on the bottom of it, you know, most things say, oh, beloved mom, beloved family member, devoted mother, blah, blah, blah. No. Her says, victim of the beast, 666. Yeah. So I, yeah. And so this probably won't be as tearful, but like (laughs) (laughs) I found it interesting and I wish, you know, I found a few stories on it and I'm going to, of course, I cite my sources. The first one was called the gray lily project. Um, yeah, so it is in a quite quiet, unremarkable area of Salt Lake City Cemetery. There's a modest gravestone bearing an epitaph so bizarre. For many years, it inspired rumors, speculation, curiosity, and fear in everyone who came across it. Unlike other graves surrounded it, which have common inscriptions like beloved husband, in loving memory, devoted mother, etc., this tombstone, placed for a woman named Lily E. Gray, reads Victim of the Beast 666, a reference to the Antichrist described in the Book of Revelations. Oh, this is a church thing. Okay, cool. Or not a church thing, a Bible thing. Passage. I'm a mess. Okay. <laughs> the Bible thing. It's, 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 I live in the Bible, though. It works. I, I it works. No, wait, everything you said was factual. So. <laughs> Here comes Satan. He's coming for my soul. Gosh. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. And it, he spake as a dragon, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, okay, uh, or in their foreheads, oh man, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. 666. But why? A longtime resident of Salt Lake City, Rochelle Hawks, set out to discover the mystery. There's a bunch of theories. I found a few different websites that talk about it, so I'll just kind of read through those. Um, Rochelle began in internet and local records in the process, uncovered some fascinating clues, as well additional mysteries. One thing, the inscription of the tombstone is not accurate. This Cemetery Sexton's record note a single L in her first name, which it's on the tombstone. It's supposed to be L or on the tombstone. It's L I L L Y and a birth date of June 4th, 1880. However, the stone reads June 6th, 1881. Is this an error or was it changed intentionally to reinforce the Antichrist reference because of 6-6-1881, which 1881. I tried like adding that up. I'm like, it's 18. Ah, 
18. Six plus six plus six. Six plus six. Oh! <laughs> Puzzle piece. Um, her brief obituary, we're learned that... We're, lear we're learned. We're learned. We're learned by it. Her death at the age of 77 or 78 was due to natural causes. Who then would request such an ominous inscription for her grave? Dun-dun-dun. Crappy husbands. Elmer Lewis Gray is Lily Gray's husband. Might hold some of the answers. Um, she married Elmer when she was 72 years old, which I'm like, okay, well, whatever. And he may have been incarcerated prior to their marriage. Rochelle Hawks believes, I have found records for an Elmer L. Gray's criminal pardons application in 1947. I also found a 1901 Ogden Standen newspaper clipping in which a man named Elmer Gray was arrested and sentenced to five days on the rock pile for stealing an umbrella valued at $3.50 from the, the Payne and Hearst Company. I have no way of knowing if this is the same Elmer Gray, but the date and his age seems to fit. You must stand on a rock pile for five days. Get in the rock pile! Interestingly, Elmer is buried in the same cemetery, though in a plot far from Lily's. Oh. He didn't want to be married. Okay. Married. <laughs> Not married. Buried. God. Drink anything? Usually I'm drinking with Kelly. <laughs> I've done enough drinking this whole weekend. <sighs> More clues might have been found in the decoration on the tombstones of both Lily and Elmer. The flower on her grave is an evening primrose, and according to cemetery symbolism, the primrose, when used on tombstones, symbolizes youth, hope, memory, eternal love, and sadness. The primrose nickname, however, is Devil's Lantern. But how does it Okay. The Devil's Lantern. Yep. On Elmer's tombstone, however, we have daffodils or narcissus, which is... Narcissus? Narcissus. <laughs> well, that makes so much sense. Which is used in funerary, funerary art. Funerary art? What the fuck kind of word is that? It can have such negative connotations as narcissism, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> self-love, and vanity. What? Yeah. I want oh, to yeah. send a bouquet to a certain... Someone that we know. Never mind. Don't get me started. I will. We That's can, all. We can do the offline, off, off, off mm -hmm. podcast. I feel bad that it's raining outside and the doggies are outside. Okay, well, let's turn this up and let them in. Ah, it's okay. I've got a porch that'll protect them. But anyways, um, there are theories that Lily was a victim of a car wreck on Highway 666. Okay, just kidding. We'll stretch through part of Utah. Yeah, there is a Highway 666. Um, well, I guess who's going to have to research that now? Me. Just kidding. I don't research. I'm just starting to get lazy, but it's fine. The highways was... The highway was... Famous, not only for its name, but also the high rate of fatal accidents that occurred on its desolate stretches. During the period of the time Lily reportedly lived in Utah, and she could have traveled on the highway, so the theory cannot be completely ruled out. Interesting. <gasps> Sorry, I'm going to interject. I'm going to, I just came up with an idea for Kelly. Kelly, are you listening? Um, <laughs> Better now. Ah, words. Where'd they go? Oh, okay, so I'm pretty darn sure there's a Highway 666. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. hitting tables. Sorry. Um, okay. If that is the case, Kelly, there's one of your rabbit holes. Look it up. Find out why. It, is, it was diagnosed. That's not the right. It was named mm -hmm. Highway 666. It's named that for a reason. Right. And is it because so many deaths? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they want to just call it, like, Death. Death Highway. Yeah. And, well, like, highway the girls that we love, the morbid girls, because I always have to shout them out. Cause yes. Them so yes, much. yes, yes, They do spooky roads, too, but I don't think that's one they cover. I, it, it, and then if it no longer exists, I'm, I'm, yeah. 
it, it, I believe it did at least. We'll just start a list for Kelly in my phone. I'll be like, here you go. I need a paper and pen. Or you said in your phone, I found some paper and there's a crayon. Oh, here's a pen. Okay. That's my favorite pen. But anyways, uh, while you're writing that down, uh, no, that's one of my work, my favorite work. Drawing pen. Oh, I do. Oh my God. No, I use my finger because. Okay, anyways, we're, we're talking too much. Okay, here's another theory while you're writing notes that Lily was involved with Alistair Crowley's following in Salt Lake City. Alistair? Alistair? Okay, whatever. Um, Crowley was a... It's so funny because in Supernatural, which is an amazing TV show, the king of hell's last name is... Or name is Crowley. Uh, was a notorious occultist in the first part of the 20th century, and it had been said Crowley referred to himself as the Beast 666, giving the theory Lily had been victimized by him and her husband's or other survivors' eyes... Yeah. Victimized by her... In her husband's or other survivors' eyes some way... That doesn't make sense. But um, there exists information that Lily did not move to Salt Lake City until 1950. He died, oh, but Crowley died in 1947, which would have made it impossible for him to have known him. So why is that even a theory? But who knows? The devil is a mysterious creature. Um, perhaps the most intriguing and plausible theory yet involved her husband, Elmer, who may have had mental problems. Well, I mean, he stole an umbrella, so he sounds like a cool dude. <laughs> He's such a rebel. an umbrella. <laughs> For $3.50. Sorry, Payne and Hearst. Sponsor us. If you're still around. Hey, thanks. Crowley was in a... Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I was about to read the same thing over time. I'm a piece of garbage. There are records of an Elmer Gray who had been arrested in Ogden for stealing an umbrella. Facts. But researches of vital records have unco has uncovered multiple Elmer Grays living in Utah at the same time. Was there like a cult? And Elmer Gray's application for criminal pardon in Utah hints at an anti-government belief system. Was it possible Elmer blamed the government for Lily's death, referring it to referring to it as the B six six six? Not enough information is readily available to come to final a final conclusion on her case. In two thousand three, the Deseret News. Sure. Oh, okay. Interviewed a researcher at the Utah Historical Society explained they had not been able to figure out why the strange inscription is on her gravestone. It's not closed. In the future, there will be an update as several potential leads are vetted in effort to uncover who Lily was and what the Beast 666 was. So, okay. Um, she died of natural causes... This one, I thought I saw somewhere with the little tiny minute amount of looking up some things when I sent you the picture. Right. Um, not so much that her husband was crazy, but that he deemed she was. Yeah. Okay. Um, there are rumors. Okay. See, in this article that I found, it said there are rumors that she is the first witch in Utah. Um, who's this? What's her name? I want to. Uh, Nanette is it okay goes to her guy Nanette Watts gets asked about Lily Gray all the time um she she gives uh tours first or yeah gives tours for story tours a company in Ogden and Bravo that takes visitors to haunted lo locals locales locales is that a word throughout northern Utah but Watts said the most chilling place she visits is the grave, grave of Lily Gray and why does her grave bear that mysterious message? There are rumors that she's the first witch in Utah. I've also heard people say that this was 
there was this man and he led her away from her family, her loving family, and she was brought back in a box. So maybe Elmer was evil and he was just trying to speculate it. I don't know. Are these just rumors? Watts said, likely there are. There are no records, according to Utah State Archives, um, of there ever being anything untoward about um, Lily's life. And then another, her husband is another story. Then it says he was... Okay, so that one said he stole an umbrella. This article says he was a notorious criminal jailed in 1937 for 10 years after robbing Camus Confectionery. And then it said they met in Nevada late in their life, because they said they got married when she was like 72 and then she died five years later. Um, late in their life, according to records, with a seemingly paranoid personality, which was more apparent while he was locked up in jail. With a criminal history, Elmer had a lot more interaction with government agencies. Gina Strack, and she's a Utah historian. Um, oh, this this is his application for termination of parole. Ever been in court in Utah? No place in no time. I'll have to maybe I'll just to post the picture of that. Hmm. And that was dated March fifteenth, nineteen forty-seven. Gray's parole application seemingly shows a paranoid man with the anti-government sentiment. During his hearing, he used an alias Woodrow Lamb. A bum. He did not get released from prison that day, apparently, when he asked to leave. Eventually, he was released, and then he met Lily. There's little known about their courtship, only a wedding certificate from the state of Nevada. The two relocated to Utah and lived in a house on Poplar Grove, in the Poplar Grove neighborhood. She died just a few years after they were married of natural causes. Uh, questions remain as to what type of marriage they had. Strack believes Elmer Gray is behind the mysterious inscription on her tombstone, which is located 13 rows in the northeast corner of the Salt Lake City Cemetery. 13 rows? There's another... Ooh. I love that. Um, Watts says there's another allusion to the devil on her grave that most people might not rec recognize, and it talks about again about that primrose flower, which is the devil lantern, but it's also the symbol of deep love, longing, and missing someone. This... Apparently this rose or this flower has a lot of meaning. You know, and any lotion I get, I really like the smell of it. This primrose. Hmm. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dang it. Watt believes it could be Watts believes it could be Elmer Gray was angry with the government for not letting him ride in the ambulance with Lily to the hospital, as was state law, where she died of a pulmonary embolism in nineteen fifty two. Could there be a reason he had the words victim of the beast written on her stone because of the government? Beast is a government. We all know that. Conspiracy theorists say. Or he was he just grief stricken? Um, it's one of the most visited things in Salt Lake City Cemetery. I mean, hello. How could it not be? Right. Um, I was at the grave site once with someone saying it felt like somebody poked them on the shoulder. Maybe it was Lily poking them away saying, hey, this is my space, laughed Watts. <laughs> the ground is worn around the ga grave. Cave. Bye. Because there are so many visitors. Um, Strack, who relies on data and records, prefers not to speculate, as so many have done. We all, we all want to fill in those gaps, and I think there's definitely a story here. We just don't know the full story. Watts, a storyteller, believes uh, believes in her... Oh, Watts, who is a storyteller, believes in her heart that Lily Gray was probably a lovely woman and hopes more records about her life emerge. It will be... It will let Lily rest in peace, is what Watts said. Oh, and they said that... Um, What's the other one? Is there another part of it? Hi, hi, hi. Hello. Hello. Um, maybe not. Uh, 
They don't know if something horrifying happened to her. She died of natural causes. Um, and then it says he was in the Utah State Prison, and it was unclear why. Oh, she didn't have any next of kin. Like, Wait, she, so natural causes, and it says pulmonary embolism. embolism. So is that... I don't think that's as natural. Yeah, it doesn't sound... It's super raining outside. Ah. Right, Elmer was considered by Lily's family to be quite a scoundrel, is what scoundrel. someone said. That's a good word. I love that scoundrel. word. Scoundrel. <laughs> they were like two myths, mists coming toward each other that united against all odds. Bob or smog? Maybe smog. Yeah. I think that would be more fitting for that. But yeah, that's what I found on it. So, like, there's, but yeah, they said they, she has, like, no descendants, so nobody can put her pieces together. Like, they know nothing about this. And being this older lady, you think maybe she would have left a little bit of a mark around the town or something. Right. Like, or talked to someone, or if, she had to have worked at some point. Well, maybe not had to have back then. But. Right. But, yeah. I know. Well, that's about right. Cool. Just a little over an hour. So rad. Oh. So, that is the tragic tragic tale of sweet little Judith Barcy and then the wild story of Lily Gray and her 666 <laughs> tombstone. Yes. Which I'm like, thanks for looking at it. Yeah. I wish I would have done more. But such is life. Always well. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this brand new Bloody Babbles with our now third code host, my lovely sister. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, make sure to go check out the, uh, fantasy and world music by the Fighters. They are the creators. Well, they're not the creator. Yes, they are the creators. They're the, oh my goodness, intro music. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Bloody Babbles Podcast. You can follow our Facebook page, Bloody Babbles Podcast. You can follow our Twitter at Bloody Babbles. Um, you can email us at Bloody Babbles Pod... Oh, no. Not Bloody Bubbles. Not Bloody Bubbles. <laughs> Now I want to look up bloody bubbles. <laughs> I will write that. And to Kelly's me. list of rabbit holes. <laughs> or even yours, if you decide to do your own thing. Or you just, Sean's just kind of just got roped into this, and she's a trooper. Um, but uh, you can email us at bloodybabblespodcast at gmail.com. If you're feeling so inclined, you can uh, support this podcast on Anchor. Um, each episode, it says at the very end of the description, um, support, and you can click on that link. And there's 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99 if you're feeling so inclined. Because I have plans for this podcast, so um, your help would be appreciated. So thank you for listening. I have my arms out and you can't see that, but I just love all my listeners and all our international listeners. So that's pretty freaking rad. And also thank you to Mandy for um, giving our one, or <laughs> asking to cover the story of Judith Barthy. And now everybody go watch land before time and sob your eyes out. And all dogs go to heaven. And all dogs <laughs> to heaven. Just keep it going. Just, just cry and it up. Growing scene episodes and yes. cheers and, and cheers and um, the that Twilight Jaws Zone, thing? Jaws, the Revenge, all of it. Just go watch Judith Barcy and celebrate her life because she deserves to be remembered. Rest in peace, beautiful girl. Rest in paradise. Okay, until next time. Babble on, my weirdos. Okay, bye. Bye. Welcome to my true crime podcast, Stolen From Me. Every week we will cover a different case, from the notorious Ian Huntley to the gruesome Ed Gain. You can follow me for more episodes and news on my Twitter page, at Stolen From Me Pod. I got into true crime from an early age. 
I was around eight years old at the time and at school we had to write to someone famous. Everybody decided to write to the Queen but I didn't want to do that so I decided I was going to write to the Cray Twins. This didn't go down well but it did escalate in my fascination of true crime. Thank you for being a part of my podcast. Please leave a five-star review, like and subscribe and see you in the next episode.